0: Miller and Condon. Ken Miller. Oh, Trent Condon. Four. This is Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station. 106.3 KXNO. Good morning and
1: welcome in. Miller and Condon on the air with you here on a Tuesday as we talk the world of sports. Take it up until 1 o'clock here this afternoon. A busy show going on. Kicking things off. Today on the BMW of Des Moines guest list, we will begin things coming up here towards the bottom of the hour as we will talk the latest in the Big 12, the continued realignment and addition maneuvers that are out there. Arizona, Colorado, are they coming? Matt Postins will join us from Heartland College Sports as we break things down. In a Big 12 perspective, we'll also talk a little football, basketball, the winners uh, coming back from the NBA draft and what the additions look like for the teams in the Big 12. That's coming up here at about 11.25. We continue at 11.45, more basketball, and into the NBA Finals as we break things down, getting ready for tomorrow night's Game 3 in Miami. Kyle Irving will stop in. From the Sporting News, always appreciate his time and insight into the NBA and the Finals. The Heat make this thing a series. They stole one in Denver. What continues in Game 3? We'll break things down with Kyle Irving. And then the final hour of the program today, something a little bit different for you here in the summer months. Like to do things a little bit different from time to time. With Ken away, we're going to welcome in a host of guests that's going to come in in the final hour of the program. So we got a big contingent stopping in, Tim Dwight, along with Tavian Banks, the one-two punch back in the 90s for the Iowa Hawkeye football team. NFL players on top of it. We'll talk to Tim Dwight. We'll talk to Tavian Banks. Rodney Filer also going to be by the former Hawkeye fullback and a long-time Iowa Barnstormer, and also Travis Gorsch with Iowa Foundation. All four of them will be with us for the final hour of the program today. We'll talk about their upcoming football camp. We'll get into that and uh, what that means, an opportunity for your youngster to get involved in a free football camp. Incredible things that Tim and Tavian and company are doing with that. So we'll talk about that and a whole lot more in the second hour of the program today, taking up until 1 o'clock. And then I'll wrap things up as I do each and every day with my Plays of the Day presented by Circus Sports and... Well, hopefully things go just a little bit better uh, than they did yesterday. A 1-3. Apologies on that one. Still, we've had a very good run here, and we will try to get back on the winning side of things with some baseball picks coming up uh, here later in the program today. But, of course, the big news, if you haven't heard it, hold on to your butts. This one was as shocking of a news story as I could have received this morning. I, I truly believe that. This thing... So I have the alerts on, on ESPN. And if you have the ESPN app, you can set up the same thing on your phone. And I really have it pared down for just big breaking news. You know, somebody, a free agent signs, I, I don't need to know that. I need some only the biggest news. So this thing comes in, and the alert that the Live Tour, along with the DP, the former Euro, European Tour, and the PGA Tour are merging together. And it's one of those things. I'm getting it from the ESPN app. This is not Twitter where you could have a whole bunch of misinformation out there. It's not social media. It's not some website that was made up by some guy. Now, this is coming from the ESPN app, something that is trusted. And yet when I read this, this little headline, then click on the story, I can't believe it. I believe I've been duped, that my phone had been hacked. I could not believe the news that this was happening. It is absolutely incredible. So, if you know me and you've been listening to us for a while here on Miller & Conda, you know I'm a pretty big golf fan. I enjoy the sport. More than anything, I enjoy betting on the sport. That should come as no surprise if you've also been listening to our program for a while. Yes, I enjoy betting it. And it's really taken my enjoyment of the PGA Tour to another level. So, selfishly, I've hated the Live Tour for a couple of reasons. First of all, taking away some of the top golfers. Aging golfers for the most part. Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, of course, Brooks Koepka, DeChambeau, and some young guys that I always had my eye on. A guy like Harold Varner. Really liked Harold Varner. And that he was one of the few guys that was honest. It was about money for him. And an opportunity as an African-American of trying to grow the game. And that's what he was trying to do in his community. And he was honest. One of the few guys that was honest about it. So these salaries came down from the Live Tour. From a guaranteed $200 $200 million to Phil Mickelson. Dustin Johnson, $150 million. Bryson DeChambeau, $100 million. Tiger Woods was offered somewhere between $700 and $800 million to go to the live tour. You turned it down. The prize money goes out there. You have a team purse. You have a winning purse, $4 million. Second place, 2.1. The last week was a big tournament in golf. Not one of the majors, but... Of the next tier, what they're now calling the elevated events, Victor Hovland brings home $3.6 million. Denny McCarthy, two point one. million. Scheffler finished third, point three. Well, these elevated events, this is what the purses have grown to because the PGA Tour, realizing what's happening with Liv, knew they, they had to grow the purse. So those are some of the good things that have happened. Liv pushed the PGA to get to the level they are right now in terms of prize money, elevated events, making the tournaments the next tier of tournaments, that second tier of tournaments after the majors and elevating them, and that's what they've done. But the reason that I'm so surprised by this news is the PGA was turning out incredibly good. From court cases to on the course to television ratings, they were doing incredibly well. The growth of the sport What we're seeing out of the tour was improving, even minus those aging stars, even without those guys. And from people that were out in front, the Rory McIlroys. Today, you see Colin Morikawa, absolutely blindsided by this news. The guys that stuck their neck out there, that didn't take the money, that didn't take the easy way out, that worked to build the PGA Tour, and they're just left out there hanging. It's a bad look. Moynihan, the commissioner of the PGA, just an awful look. So this, a year ago at the RBC, and a big thank you to uh, one of our listeners that passed this on to us earlier today, R.A. Scott. No, check that. Kirk Johnson uh, sent this along. Give a listen, less than a year ago, to this from the PGA commissioner, Moynihan
2: to ask about this. There was a story that was first reported uh, in the New York Post yesterday by Brian Wacker about a 9-11 coalition of families and survivors of the 2001 terrorist attacks. Um, 9-11 Families United sent a letter to the representatives of Phil, Dustin, Bryson, Reed, and others, quote, expressing their outrage towards the golfers for participating in the new league and accusing them of sports-washing and betraying the United States, end quote. And that's gotten a lot of steam over the last 24 hours. That story first reported again in the New York Post. How much did you talk to your players about the possible ramifications if they sign on with the new league? Well,
0: I talked to players.
2: I've talked at a player meeting, and I've I've talked to a number of players uh, individually uh, for a long period of time. And I think you'd have to be living under a rock to not know that there are significant implications. And as it relates to the families of 9-11, uh, I have two families that are close to me that lost loved ones. And so my heart goes out to them. And I would ask you know, any player that has left or any player that would ever consider leaving, have you ever had to apologize for being a member of the PGA Tour?
1: Jay Moynihan from CBS last week, uh, last year, talking with Jim Nance on the broadcast as things were continuing to bubble up. Well, that money's different, I guess, when it's going to you, right? What a bad look for the commissioner. What a bad look for the PGA Tour when you had them not dead to rights. I mean, they have not infamous money, but about as close to it as you could possibly have. And to those families that he was talking about. To sit out there looking down at everybody for taking the money on Mount and then take your money yourself, it's an awful look. It's an awful look, but what does it mean? Really, what does this mean? And that's, that's what I continue to go down to. It's no surprise that any endeavor, whatever sport, whatever organization, it's all about the bottom line. It's all about money, time in and time out. That's what it is. You hear this all the time, I love the Tony Kornheiser podcast. And he always brings up the quote from Don Ole Meyer, the answer to all your questions is money. Yeah, it's about the money. When the other people are taking the money, you can look down at everybody. And you can be all on top of it, looking down at what a pitiful person that could possibly be. Yet here we are, and they're doing the exact same things. The details of this are absolutely baffling too. I mean, it is absolutely incredible what we're seeing in this merger, a unification with a tour that you've derided, that you have made fun of, that you have done everything possible to try to cut down. And because you're going to get investment from the Saudis and the Saudi tour, this is where we are. As one PGA player said to ESPN, no blanking way. That's where we are. Bill Mickelson said it's an awesome day. Of course he does. He's got $200 million in the bank. He's got to be incredibly pumped up for this. What does it look like? What does it turn into? This is happening. When this idea first came from the Saudis, what they wanted to do was invest in the PGA Tour. And they were hit with a very frank no. Yet here we are two years later. The the Live Tour was not what their initial idea was. It was to invest in the PGA Tour and the European Tour. That was initially what they wanted to do. Because Moynihan was not willing to do that, and the PGA Tour is not willing to do that, that's how the Live Tour formed. What a misstep. What an absolute misstep by the PGA. We know the NBA has entities, has financial backing, from governments, from places that would make your skin crawl a little bit. And the same thing here. If they would have just taken it, how different would that be? Another part of this that is really baffling is they're going to be called, the Saudi group is going to be part, called not just a partner, but also they're going to be one of the, the leaders, if you will, in terms of at the forefront of what this is. It's dirty. But as a fan, this is what I get into. And this is the part that I struggle with. I'm happy that we're going to see the best of the best all together again. And maybe we're going to see some different kind of ideas coming into the game. And and then elevation. And maybe there will be a team component. Maybe that could be good. The graphics for live, I don't get it. Watch it a couple of times. It's too much. The shotgun starts. That's not real golf. That's not a golf tournament. Playing 54 holes. No. 72-hole tournament, have cuts, all those things. But now are we guaranteed money if you make the field? I don't have a huge problem with that. I still want to see cuts. I still want to see the tour that I have grown to love in my 43 years. I still want to see the baseline behind it that I like. And I think golf fans are the same way. What does this ultimately mean for us, the fans? We'll get to see the best guys. And that's kind of what you continue to go back to, right? Yes, it stinks, but there's stinky places all over the place as it pertains to the world of sports and where we are. We'll have more on this. Hoping to track down Matt Rudy from Golf Digest. I'll get him on the program tomorrow after the dust has settled a little bit more. Have them merge after being morally superior to everybody down there. It's a bad luck, And the way this played out, for the tour players not to know, I wonder about the future of Jay Moynihan. I wonder what this is going to look like for him. That is the question that definitely has to be out there. And you wonder about his future overall. A couple other notes here as we get things started on a Tuesday. Last night, hockey stunk in. Well, according to the viewers, in Game 1, nobody's watching this thing. Well, nobody being a relative term. Last night, got into it, jumped on the Panthers, was hoping they could tie things up and make it a series. And it was all Vegas. It was 4-0. Got 4-1 on a chippy goal. Uh, early in the third period. eh? Maybe, no, absolutely not. It has been domination. A 2 nothing lead in the series. But how about this? Game one. I understand numbers are going to be down, not just because of the participants. I mean, that's a part of it. You got Vegas, and you got Florida. A, not hockey markets, teams that they don't know. I mean, go to go to somebody that doesn't know sports very well. Give them how many guesses it's going to take before they can come up with the nickname for the Florida hockey team, or even the Vegas hockey team. It can take a while before you get to Gold Knights and Panthers. non hockey markets. Teams without, certainly, national fan bases. And it just doesn't have the feeling of a Stanley Cup final. Just over 500,000 for Game 1 on Saturday night. Not only that, but of course the move over as they're on TNT this year. It is bad, bad, bad for the NHL. And I'll tell you... It's going to take a lot for me to get in there. Only watched it a couple minutes last night. It was baseball last night. Watch the Cubs. Disastrous start for Hendricks. Got off to a slow start. David Ross got ejected early in that game as well. And Blake Snell, who had been absolutely brutal, he befuddled the Cubs hitters throughout this one. 5 nothing win for the Padres last night. Watch a little bit of that. What else was on the TV last night? I'll watch a little bit of the Brewers and the Reds. I'm telling you, this Reds team... They bring up a young lefty in Abbott, and Andrew Abbott last night, he was outstanding. Gave up just one hit to the Brewers. Now, that's not saying much, certainly for a lefty against the Brewers, but I thought, guy making his first career start, jump on the Brew crew. That was not the case there. They look brutal. Baseball and uh, Cardinals. Whoa. You know, right after we were jumping on that Cardinal train, now losers of four in a row, 11 games under five hundred. The division is not great, but they now sit. As we sit here on June 6th, the Cardinals in last place, eight games back of the Pirates in the division and seven and a half games back of the Brewers at 25-36. and And last night, a 4-3 loss for the Redbirds. Not a great start to things, absolutely, but that's where we are. We're going to take a quick time out here on Miller and Con. And when we come back on the other side, we're going to break down the Big 12. There is reports out there. Colorado, Arizona. Are on their way. Well, these kind of reports have been out there for a very long time. There has been so much smoke. Is there fire in the latest as the Big 12 terms as they continue to look at expansion and expansion candidates? We'll talk about that with Matt Postens. Also, take a look at what's happening in the Big 12, the returnees to the hardwood, what that means for these basketball teams, and of course, a little football talk as we get ready for the upcoming season. The first and only go around with a 14 team. Big 12, at least as it pertains with Texas and Oklahoma involved. Do the Sooners have a bounce back this year? We'll get the thoughts of Matt Poston's on that one. Plus, coming up later on in the hour, we will talk NBA Finals and break down Game 3 with Kyle Irving. Then Tim, Tavian, Rodney, all with us. Tim Dwight, Tavian Banks, Rodney Filer. They'll be in for the second hour of the program. sitting around and throw it around for us for about an hour talking sports Look back at their days in Iowa, their days in the NFL. In fact, if you have any questions for the guys, hit me up on Twitter, at Trent Condon, or you can also find us on the Miller and Condon page. Uh, hit us up over there with any of the questions that you might have for the guys. Tim Dwight, Tavian Banks, Rodney File are going to be joining us in our number two and send those questions, questions over to us on Twitter. Just underway on a Tuesday, it's Miller and Condon. Quick timeout, we're back you on your side. Continues minus the Miller, one hundred six point three KXNO. I'm Trent and Glad to have you aboard with us here this Tuesday as we talk the world of sports. Well, the smoke has been out there for a long time as it pertains two more additions for the Big 12 of course we know about the four new members that'll be joining the conference coming up this upcoming sports season BYU Cincinnati Central Florida along with Houston one more go around with Oklahoma and Texas before they make their way into the SEC but is there more here to answer that question and a whole lot more from Heartland College Sports he is Matthew Postens. Matt as always appreciate your time how are you today Hey, I'm good. How are you doing? Doing well, and this is one of those uh, continued smoke that is out there, with starting with Colorado. Now, the latest report involves both Colorado and Arizona, but there's been so much of this conversation. Is it at the point right now where it's feeling inevitable that we are at the spot right now that this is going to happen, and it's not a matter of if, it is a when for the Colorado Buffaloes returning to the Big 12?
2: Well, it certainly kind of feels that way. I mean, Colorado's having another uh, closed-door executive session either today or tomorrow. Uh, it's not clear from the agenda because the agenda says Wednesday, but the date says today. So either way, it'll be like the third or fourth time they've had a closed executive session with an athletic agenda item due to a legal matter in the past two months. So clearly they're they're talking about something related to their contract with the Pac-12, a potential contract with the Big 12. You know, you're coming to that point, you know, at the end of the fiscal year, like we talked about last week, where the fiscal year turns over, everybody's budgets are locked in for next year, but you don't know what's happening past that because you don't have a television deal for the Pac-12. And if you're Colorado, you're thinking about, okay, well, do we do we need to make a decision, legally speaking, before the end of the month and what we're going to do for 24-25, you're thinking about the buyout. They're probably going to owe the Pac-12 a buyout anyway, like Texas and Oklahoma owed a buyout to the Big 12, regardless of when they left. So you've got to think about that legal ramification of it, too. So my guess is there's just there's so much smoke right now around Colorado that it seems like if you know, unless somebody comes to the table with a great 11th hour television deal for the Pac-12 it does feel somewhat inevitable that Colorado may end up being a member of the Big 12 once again.
1: So the Arizona component, in fact, I asked you last week about this, about Arizona-Colorado, not with Arizona State involved, not with Utah involved, but just those two, is there real backing behind this? I mean, after reading the report, we're not talking about this coming from some of the biggest newsmakers out there. Your takeaway from that and just... Two, as opposed to the four, the four corner schools that we'd heard so much about?
2: Well, I think it partially depends on whether you, whether or not you think a school like Colorado leaving would set off a domino effect and how big that domino effect would be. Um, most of what I have read over the last year is that Arizona and Arizona State are pretty intrinsically linked. They're not 100% lead pipe locked. One's going to do what the other does, but there's some. There would be some legal uncoupling that would need to be done if, say, Arizona decided to leave for the Big 12 and Arizona State decided to stay in the Pac-12 or or even go somewhere else. Uh, I've always looked at the two of them as kind of a package deal, and I think it's a good package deal for any conference that takes them because you basically get the entire state of Arizona from an attention standpoint and from a media standpoint. So, you know, for me, I think it's going to depend upon what, you know, kind of domino effect the school like Colorado leaving creates. If if it triggers Arizona leaving, then does it trigger Arizona State leaving? Does it trigger Utah leaving? Does the Big 12 want all four of those schools? Does the Big 12 only want two of those schools? Would the Big 10 be interested in any of those schools? Um, they're all hard questions to answer because we haven't seen another trigger point like we saw with USC and UCLA last year. That's what's triggered all of us. We're kind of in that situation now where After Texas and Oklahoma left or announced they were leaving a couple of years ago, we're in that kind of three, four-week period where we were like, well, okay, is the Big 12 going to survive? Are they going to expand? What are they going to do? The difference is the Big 12 figured out what what they wanted to do in like three or four weeks. The Pac-12 has needed 11 months to get to this point, and I still don't think they know what they want to do yet.
1: Something that needs to happen sooner rather than later is this is going to be the final year of the TV contract for the Pac-12. And it's getting that time where they need decisions and not a whole lot of uh, certainly people out there. If this triggers and if this happens, you mentioned then the decision that would have to come from Arizona State and Utah. What about the two biggest pieces remaining in the Pac-12? With Oregon, with Washington, many people believe maybe some concessions would have to be given, given or even an out. If the Big Ten would come calling for both of those schools, where's the Big 12 as it pertains to the Ducks and the Huskies?
2: There, there hasn't been a lot of noise around those two schools. And I, I think it's I think it's interesting because you could make the argument that from a brand standpoint of the 10 remaining Pac-12 schools, those two schools perhaps have the best brands in the conference from an athletic standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oregon is perhaps the best funded athletic department in the country, uh, when you consider their association with Phil Knight and Nike. Washington, you know, pretty much owns a good portion of the state of Washington and is in a fantastic media market there in Seattle. Yeah. People forget that Oregon is actually in Eugene. Eugene is actually its own television market. It's about the size of, of Lubbock, but they're adjacent to the Portland TV market. So you basically get most of the state if you take in Oregon. It's interesting to me that, you know, there hasn't been a lot of noise around it, but I, I really feel like Oregon and Washington both want to be in the Big Ten. I think they feel like, obviously, there's a bigger money component for them if they move to that conference. Uh, I think they feel like there's more prestige involved. I think they would look at the Big 12 as a fallback if uh, – if they weren't able to get into the Big Ten. I, I do think it's interesting that, say, if you know Colorado, let's just say Colorado and Arizona go to the Big 12, the Big Ten is reportedly kind of backed off the idea of more expansion right now. Mm-hmm. That could trigger the Big Ten going to those two schools and saying, okay, if you want to join the Times now, you won't be a full member for two or three years financially. That's still going to be more money than they would likely make in a t- new television contract with the Pac-12.
1: Matt Post is joining us from Heartland College Sports as we look at the Big 12. Interesting article today from Dennis Dodd, who's got some right. Got some wrong uh, throughout the realignment process, but no surprise on that one. Uh, Talking about the basketball side, something that you and I have talked about a lot, Matt, as it pertains to bringing in a Gonzaga, bringing in a UConn, bringing in the Zags as a basketball-only member, and something interesting from that article. So one of the consulting firms that is working with the Zags about potentially jumping to the Big 12 or the Pac-12 is a metric called TV Power. Gonzaga is is fifth behind only Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, and Kansas as it pertains to basketball and what their metric is called TV power. I mean, that's a surprising one, and you can certainly see why your mark would want to add that kind of brand to the basketball side.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, that's one of the reasons why I've been kind of pro Gonzaga when it comes to them joining the Big 12 or or joining any other power conference for that matter. I don't think people really understand that they have a national brand. They have cultivated that over the last 20-plus years. I mean, I see people here in Dallas-Fort Worth running around in Gonzaga T-shirts, and it's not because it's something kitschy. It's because they're fans of the basketball program. These guys are on TV a lot. They play a lot of hardcore national TV games during non-conference. They're obviously a a big presence in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I know they're in Spokane. I know they're kind of in the middle of nowhere, but they have cultivated a national brand on the level of a – You know, a a Big East school that doesn't play football, like a Villanova or Georgetown. People know who they are. They will add something to the table. The real question, if you're the Big 12, and this goes to the athletic directors, the presidents, and even Brett Yormark and his staff, is if you're thinking about the idea of uncoupling the basketball contract and the football contract in the next round of television negotiations, how much value does a school like Gonzaga bring you? That's the question you have to answer, and you have to be confident in, because that's What they're thinking about doing is unusual. You know, you don't usually split those two things apart. But your mark seems confident that the market might change in the next six years to allow them to do that. So if you add a school like Gonzaga, you know, you've got to make sure that they add enough value to make that uncoupling possible and valuable to the rest of your partners in your conference.
1: Interesting looking at these numbers, that valuation for Gonzaga on a year-to-year basis is $15 million. That means that the Big 12 members would have to give up, uh, at least the full members right now, $1.25 million out of there. But there's also the uh, the uh nagging or the question what they're going to do. There's still that $100 million buyout that's coming from Texas and Oklahoma. And it sounds like at this point, Matt, at least the way that I read it, that that money is not being distributed, or they haven't decided how they're going to distribute that hundred million dollars. Do you hear it the same way?
2: Um, I think they're holding on to it in a way where you know they can keep their options open. I think the, I think the ideal scenario is for that money to be shared back to the the holdover members because, as they're bringing in Houston and these the other schools to the current TV deal those eight schools actually gave up a little money to those schools to help them kind of get acclimated to being in the Big 12. Uh, I think it was around 8 million over the next 2 years. So the thought is with this buyout or this, you know, basically withholding of media rights money at the end of the end of the deal for Texas and OU, the idea is that at least some of this would be paid back in some way to those eight teams to kind of offset some of that money. The rest of it could be used as a you know potentially a pro rata for like a Gonzaga joining the conference or another basketball only school joining the conference as a way of helping them increase their payout from the television deal but you know they're in a good position where they don't have to necessarily decide what they're gonna do with that money left it gives them a little flexibility to decide what to do with it as they figure out this this whole expansion question As they figure out you know how many schools to bring in if those schools are available And I think they like the idea that they have that flexibility right now.
1: No doubt about it. Well, as we're wrapping up the season here with softball and baseball for the 2022-23 sports calendar, anything to take away? I know for Iowa State fans, it's hard to talk about baseball not having a program anymore. (laughs) Your takeaways, and how about TCU getting to host because Indiana State has Special Olympics happening in Terre Haute this week. So TCU, pretty big advantage for them getting to host against Indiana State.
2: Yeah, that really helps them, but I mean, frankly, they have been probably the hottest baseball team in the Big 12 since the start of May. I, I think it's now 16-2, 17-2 since the start of the month. I mean, uh, when I saw them at the Big 12 tournament, they were just knocking the cover off the ball. I'm, I'm a little amazed at what Trey Richardson did yesterday, just because he's not that kind of power hitter, but... You know, two grand slams and back-to-back innings—that's pretty nuts. But it's the entire order. It's the it's the entire group of hitters in this lineup, and their pitching is so well set up now uh, that you know you, you feel for Indiana State because they can't host. But I, I respect the fact that they're honoring their commitment to the Special Olympics, and and uh, they've actually driven some charity money uh, in off of that as well this week. So you've got them. You got Texas going to Stanford. That should be a great series. Texas has every. Uh, possibility of going to the college world series i think them getting eliminated in the big 12 tournament early actually helped them out whereas oklahoma state scraping and clawing to win six games in five days kind of hurt them ultimately in their regional and then of course oklahoma softball you know what what else there is there to say about the sooners it it just florida state's a great team but uh, i'm i'm not i'm not betting against oklahoma winning another college world series right now they've They've, they just continue to to play incredible softball. That's going to be one of the things I'm going to miss, honestly, about Oklahoma leaving mm. Big 12 is how, how well they play softball and how they elevate the sport in a way in which few teams have elevated that sport before.
1: I'm going to guess I'm not alone, though, last night. I was rooting for Texas A&M to beat Stanford. I just wanted to see Texas against A&M coming up in a super regional. How fun that would have been. <laughs>
2: that would have been a lot of fun, and it would have been a lot of fun to see which team got the regional because in that situation it would have been a bidding process and the ncaa would have had to decide which one of them uh would host uh somebody on twitter had a really uh good solution to that just flip a coin one gets the first game the other gets the next two games
1: easy enough right easy enough. yeah
2: and people would and a&m and in texas are more than close enough to accommodate something like that but a&m lost texas will go to stanford that'll be a great series
1: we touched on this a little bit with you last week, but uh, some of the decisions coming down on the transfer portal. Uh, what can you tell us, though? Now a week removed, Keontae George of uh, Baylor. What's kind of happening there?
2: Uh, he's he's all in for the NBA draft. I mean, he's been projected as a lottery pick for a good good amount of time now. Mm-hmm. Nothing's really changed as far as the combine is concerned and team visits are, are concerned. So. Um, He's clearly in the draft. So is um, Keontae Johnson from Kansas State. I, I finally dug it up. Once he got the clearance, medically speaking, mm-hmm. uh, from the NBA to go through workouts and everything like that, he decided to keep his name in the draft. Uh, Kellis Robinette reported that the Wichita Eagles. So he is clearly in the draft. He is not coming back to K-State. The only big decision we have left now is Jalen Bridges. Uh, he has until June 12th to make a decision about whether or not to stay in the draft or come back for another year at Baylor.
1: Gotcha. So that may, makes a lot of sense there. And yeah, Kansas State, going to be a, a different kind of look here for Coach Tang at K-State. And what are your thoughts on that squad? Just coming out of nowhere, that incredible run a season ago before falling to a Florida Atlantic. K-State, you're number 2 for Coach Tang.
2: Yeah, I, I think he's he's got a really good recruiting class coming in. I think he's done a really good job in the portal. Not getting Max Adness, uh from Oral Roberts. That hurt him a little bit. I know they were all in on trying to get him uh, but they, they've got a couple of other kids out there that they're chasing from a transfer portal standpoint that can have a big impact on them. Um, they've, they've got a really good guard coming in that I think is going to be, you know, much like a Marquise type of player. So I, I'm not too worried about them being contenders in the Big 12. I think the player to watch for them next year is Naquan Tomlin, who had a really good NCAA tournament was a really good third or fourth option for them. He went through the draft process, got his report card, decided to come back. There was no reason for him to stay in the draft. He could become their first or second option in the front court next year and end up having a really, really good season.
1: Matt, as always, appreciate the time. Great conversation on the Big 12. Heartland College Sports is a site for Big 12 fans. Of course, Iowa State fans and anybody a fan of the Big 12. You guys do great work over there. Thanks, as always, for joining us.
2: Hey, you bet. Have a good week.
1: There he is, Matt Poston's hopping in, and always appreciate great conversation on the Big 12. We'll get into some more football here in the coming weeks and months ahead. Quick timeout, we'll continue on the other side. More basketball talk, this time NBA Finals. Game three tomorrow night with the Heat. And the Nuggets, we break it down with Kyle Irving as we take you up until noon. Coming up in the 12 o'clock hour, Tavian Banks, Tim Dwight, Rodney Filer, they'll be in studio for the hour talking all kinds of things, including their upcoming football camp. That's all coming your way as we continue. This is Miller and Condon on 106.3 Disability and Workers' Compensation Claims. (laughs) years that's a conversation for our next guest kyle irving joining us from the sporting news now kyle you're a little bit younger guy than i am you remember the nba on nbc
0: I do remember the NBA on NBC very uh very
1: faintly though. Okay, so but way back machine for us old guys, we absolutely big part of my formative years and I go all the way back to when the games were on tape delay on CBS way back in the 80s and at different times certainly today. So there are some reports out there and welcome and appreciate your time as always as we look towards the future. I'm kind of a sports media nerd, love kind of the media business inside of of sports and When you look to the future of the NBA, we've been so used to now years and years, ESPN, TNT being the big partners, some games on ABC, that's what you see with the national broadcast, but it's going to be different, certainly look different in future years. What have you heard, kind of the latest in those negotiations and what you anticipate going forward the NBA package is going to look like both television and streaming-wise?
0: Um, you know, I actually, it's been a little bit since I've seen any reporting on, you know, the potential of the NBA finals returning to NBC. Uh, I mean, you bring me in with that music, and even though I probably only caught maybe one or two finals when I was younger with that music, it still gets me fired up because I know how much it means to everybody that came before me watching the NBA. Um, as far as, you know, the money that is tied to the new TV deal that's coming down the line, I know that we are going to start seeing some players making ridiculous money um, you know, some of these Supermax contracts that are already, you know, potentially being leaked down the line, we're talking three hundred you know, 20 million something dollars for these players. Um, it's it's going to be, you know, kind of landscape changing for all of sports. And, you know, for the NBA, it's going to be interesting because, like you said, we've become so accustomed to seeing, you know, the games on ESPN and on ABC. So, you know, the finals will have a new dressing, uh, you know, sooner than later.
1: Uh, yes, it will. And we'll see what the future looks like there. How about the streaming component? Again, maybe our, our gap in age is a big difference here. I personally hate it. I hate having to flip back and forth and go to the source uh, and then flip over and we go from AV1 to AV2 to get over to the streaming side of things and all that. I am not a fan, but I'm an old guy. How about if streaming comes and we see you know, maybe an Apple come in and they get a game of the week on a Friday night for you? Is that even a big deal or is it just just another way to watch games?
0: Uh, I think this year was the first year where, where, you know, they had the Thursday night football games on Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. And if I wanted to watch a TNT basketball game at the same time as Amazon Prime, you'd have to close out of the app, go to TNT, watch the game for a little bit, flip back to the app, open it back up. So, I mean, even for me, I still think it's a pain in the butt. I'm not a huge fan of it, but... You know, that's kind of the direction that things are moving. And hopefully these streaming services can get a couple things on, you know, on their streaming at once. So that way we don't have to worry about closing out the apps, changing the channels and all that.
1: Well, we have a series and it took us a couple minutes to get there. But this is a pretty big surprise to me. Now, i like Miami to bounce back and at least play better in game two. I did not think that they were going to win that game. Just the domination that we've seen out of Denver at home. Yet here they are, this plucky team with seven undrafted guys on it. They tie it up, get the split in Denver, and make their way back to Miami. How does this team do it? Outside of three-point variance, which is a big part, how does this Miami team continue to baffle basically everybody in the NBA community?
0: I think that you know teams just sometimes take them a little bit more lightly than they should. I think the Nuggets got comfortable after game one. Um, You know, we saw that a little bit in the fourth quarter of game one when they kind of took their foot off the gas and the Heat made a little bit of a fake comeback that you know no one ever really thought they were going to actually come back and win the game, but they made things close, and that carried some momentum into game two. And then they came out, and I don't know if there's a team in the league that's better at throwing a counterpunch than the Miami Heat. I mean, Eric Spolstra is just a genius when it comes to series adjustments and and game-to-game adjustments. And I know that, you know, there's the big narrative of, You know, did they turn Nikola Jokic into a scorer? Is that what they wanted? And I know that Bolster got a little fed up when he got asked that question. But, you know, when you watch the tape back, it it does feel like that was part of their game plan. They were willing to live with whatever Nikola Jokic wanted to get for himself as long as the other players on the roster didn't beat them. And that's a huge reason, along with three-point variance, as to why the Heat were able to pull it off in game two. You know, there were moments where Nikola Jokic got switched in the post onto a guard, whether it was Gabe Vincent, sometimes it was Jimmy Butler, sometimes it was Max Struess. Instead of double-teaming the way that the Heat did in Game 1, they said, go ahead, you can have the basket as long as you're not kicking out to a three-point shooter, and they know that's what Nikola Jokic loves to do, and that's where he really excels. So now in Game 3, I'm curious to see the brilliance and basketball genius of Nikola Jokic to see how he adapts himself to adapt to what Miami did in Game 2.
1: You know, that part of it too, just four assists in the game for Jokic and a lot of people pointing at that, but how many missed open shots that the Nuggets also had there? I mean, it's just something that you don't anticipate the way that we've seen those shooters been able to go from Murray to Gordon Porter, all those guys knocking down shots, even Caldwell Pope, not the case there. Again, it's the simplest thing, but the variance of three-point shooting, they're not going to miss that many open shots again,
0: are they? No, I really don't think they are. And actually, uh, Nikola Jokic, he had 14 assists in game one. He had, uh, according to NBA stats, 17 potential assists. In game two, he only had four assists, but he had 14 potential assists. Mm-hmm. So like you said, you know, the, the missed shots, they were good looks. Uh, ones of those guys have been knocking down all season. Michael Porter Jr. has looked lost in this series so far on both ends of the floor. He's the type of player that when shots aren't falling, the rest of his game starts to fall apart because he gets frustrated. I don't expect him to continue shooting as poorly as he has so far. Murray finally caught fire a little bit at the end there to help him get back into it. But he didn't have a great game leading up to that. You know, Gordon, same deal. I mean, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who is a great 3-and-D player, had one of the worst games I think I've ever seen him play on both sides of the ball in game two. So, you know, I really do think that all of those guys find a way to bounce back. I think Jokic finds a way to dissect that defense a little bit differently in Game 3, and I do expect the Nuggets to bounce back
1: tomorrow night. Heat culture. It's something that I scoff at, or scoffed at in the past, but I don't think I can anymore. You know those culture conversations a lot of times, and it doesn't matter the sport or the team, they lead to a lot of eye rolls from a lot of people myself included. This is different though, isn't it? There's just something different about this way this organization is run. Gotta have the right people, gotta have the right players, I get that, but there does appear to be really something substantial behind heat culture.
0: I agree with you. I think at the beginning of the playoffs, I was kind of rolling my eyes a a little bit at it too, but I really am a believer at this point as well because what you notice is these guys play for each other and, you know, they really, like they said, they don't give a damn about what anybody picks or, you know, what they say or, you know, who's the favorite in the game or anything like that. They they feel like they belong in this position. They have felt like they've belonged in this position all playoffs and that's how they continue to grind out these wins. It's next man up. It doesn't matter who it is. In game one, you know, uh, Max Struce and Taylor Martin both played terrible. They couldn't, you know, hit the broad side of the barn to the three-point range after hitting every shot they took in the conference finals. But Gabe Vincent had it going. In game two, Vincent had it going. Again, Max Strews caught fire in the first, for, uh, first quarter, excuse me. Um, you know, so it's, it's just a next-man-up mentality. Uh, it doesn't matter if Jimmy Butler is the star scoring all the points. He can be a guy that's in the background that's just getting stops on defense and helping out his teammates. And it even comes down to playing time. You look at a guy like Duncan Robinson he had completely fallen out of the rotation. And he was a huge, huge, huge momentum swing in the fourth quarter of Game 2 and a a massive reason that the Heat were able to pull it off. So, you know, these guys are going from out of the rotation, into the rotation, uh, you know, one night it's your turn, one night it's the next guy's turn, and that really is what Heat culture is all about.
1: Talking right now with Kyle Irving as we take a look at the NBA Finals from the Sporting News. Kyle, let's jump into this. Mike Malone, after the game, talking about effort with his team. Now, it was the first time this team had lost in a long time after the sweep against the Lakers, won the last two games against the Suns, then taken an L at home all playoffs long and hadn't taken an L period in a couple of weeks. Your takeaway from that, he knows his team incredibly well. It was a little bit of a surprise, though, seeing that postgame por- a press conference.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I actually agreed with him. I thought that at moments, it felt like the Nuggets were playing, you know, the crowd had the energy, but it felt like the Nuggets looked like they were playing in a regular season game, not an NBA Finals game. And they ran, I think it was like a 40-14 to 14 run at one point uh, from the second quarter going into the third quarter. And it felt like that would have been the knockout punch that took the Heat away. But clearly the Nuggets haven't been, been paying attention to the Eastern Conference playoffs because the Heat just don't die. They don't go away. And they're going to continue to keep fighting. And I thought that you know the Nuggets got complacent after they had gone on that run. And I think they thought they were just going to run away with this game. But the Heat just came back. They're coming up with stops. They're knocking down big shots. Uh, you know the Nuggets had a, a handful of defensive lapses late in the fourth quarter that we had not seen from what is you know the most complete basketball team in the NBA this season. So I do agree with Michael Malone that you know it felt like his team kind of felt like they could have thrown it into cruise control and taken a two zero series lead. The Heat was just going to go away, but the Heat never say die, and that's why they're in this position in the first place.
1: So we get a split. We feel like we have a series, but do we really have a series? Can you still envision a path for Miami to win this thing?
0: I I honestly do. I mean, I'm at the point that I'm believing in this Heat team and believing in the ability that they can win three more games in this series. Now, I took the Nuggets to win in six at the beginning of the series because after watching that series closely against the Celtics, you know, the Heat have earned my respect in in terms of just how they get it done defensively and, like we were talking, next-man-up mentality and all those things. But, you know, I I really do think that, you know, I think the Nuggets bounce back tomorrow. I have a feeling the Heat are going to take game four. And we're going to have a 2-2 series going back to Denver, you know, if it pans out the way I believe it is. And that's a series in my mind. I mean, whether or not Denver goes on to win it or not, the Heat are going to give them everything they have. They're going to put up a fight. And I don't think it's all that crazy to say that the the Heat can continue to grind out basketball games the way that they have all playoffs and sneak out three more wins. I don't think it's impossible at all.
1: All right, away from the NBA Finals, one final note for you, Kyle. And that is Kyrie. Trying to get a hold of LeBron and bring him to Dallas. Come on. This isn't a real story, right?
0: I, I knew we had to, I knew we, at, at one point we were going to have to touch on this. I mean, it's inevitable because LeBron James and it's Kyrie Irving, and, you know, those are the headlines. Uh, I laughed at it when I saw the report yesterday. I mean, there is just no way. There is no way. Uh, you know, the, the Mavericks don't have enough assets, valuable assets beyond Kyrie and Luka to get LeBron to Dallas. There was the report about a potential buyout for, you know, if, if LeBron really wanted to leave the Lakers and go play for the Mavericks, then he would have to be bought out. But that means he would have to clear waivers. And the Mavericks finished with the 10th worst record in the NBA. And I have a hard time believing the nine teams that were worse in Dallas in the NBA this season would look at LeBron James and say, nah, we'll let him fall to Dallas. So to me, I just don't see it happening. I think it's just kind of a fluff piece to fill the, <laughs> fill the airwaves until, uh, you know, we have our next game in the NBA Finals.
1: Well, that's where we are. Hey, Kyle, always enjoy the conversation. We'll talk again next week. And you say we got a series. I'm going to believe you. We got a series here. That's certainly what we wanted and get us through at least most of the month of June, right?
0: Exactly. Hey, just to hold us over until it's only baseball on TV.
1: That's right. Kyle Irving from the Sporting News. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you, Trent. As always, thanks. One hour down, one more to go here on Miller and Condit. When we come back on the other side, we will be joined by Rodney Filer, Tim Dwight, Kavian Banks, we will talk about their playing careers at the University of Iowa, former Hawkeye players, their upcoming football camp, and a whole lot more. Full hour coming your way. Still more to come. We'll join with the guys when we come back. Miller and Condon on 106.3 KXNO.